0: please open your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 6 through 13 as Brock read for us. Uh, and this morning, I want to do something a little bit different. Um, typically, in a sermon, I have kind of like a main point or maybe uh, several uh, kind of sub-points. Uh, I try to throw in what at least I think are relatively clever illustrations. Um, this morning, I- I'm going to take a little bit different approach. Uh, I, I want to do a little bit more of a reflective Uh, Approach to this text, I kind of just want to walk through the text and and highlight some things, ask you some questions, just get us to think through what the Apostle Paul, what God's word is saying to us in order for us to consider where we are right now. now. I'm not talking physically, I'm just talking about as we think about where we are as a society, as a culture, as First City Church, a part of Bellevue, Nebraska. Part of the United States, part of the world. 2020's been a year, hasn't it? Uh, I mean, in some ways it's felt like it's gone by really fast. Some ways it's felt like we've lived like a decade in the past like six months. It has been a year. And in many ways, life as we know it has changed. Uh, There may be some ways that that we get back to normal, but in many ways, life has changed forever. The, The divisions and the the, the sort of the turmoil and the angst in our society has really risen to a fever pitch. The cracks that were there ha, have now become major fractures. Uh, we, we're facing really a, a, an unknown set of circumstances as we head into the next year. And then on top of that, for us as the church, for us who follow God's word, who, who want to be faithful to Jesus, we're existing in a culture that is increasingly moving away from a a view of humanity, a view of truth and goodness and righteousness founded on the Bible. Now, I'm not trying to overstate how much persecution we're facing or going to face. I don't know. But you better believe that if you hold to biblical truth, biblical Uh, views of goodness and righteousness and faith and and even what it means to be a human being, if you hold to those, you're going to be increasingly ostracized from society. And so we're facing a growing amount of persecution, no matter what form it is. So as the church, we head into 2021 with a tremendous amount of challenge before us. And so here's the question I want to ask for us and I want us to consider from this passage. Hey, First City, who are we going to be? As we head into 2021, who are we going to be? What is going to define us as a community? What's going to shape us? What are we going to give our lives to in the days and weeks and months and year ahead? Are we going to be defined by, shaped by, the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of the cross? Are we going to give our lives to making much of ourselves and our own image, and status, and success, and comfort, and wealth? Or are we going to give our lives to making disciples of Jesus, seeing God glorified in our city and in our world, and seeing people find their joy in him? Who are we going to be? And so the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 is once again deconstructing the Corinthians love affair with worldly wisdom. He's once again getting at the ways that worldly wisdom has affected them and has affected the church. And in our passage this morning, what we're going to see is there is something underneath it all that the Apostle Paul is going to poke at. Underneath all the worldly wisdom, underneath all the ways that it affects the church, the way it affects our relationship to one another, the way we relate to leaders, or the way we exercise leadership, under all of these things, there is the issue of pride pride is the major problem underlying all of worldly wisdom. And so here is where the Apostle Paul is going to push. Here is where God's word is going to push us this morning. Uh, Another way to ask, are we going to be shaped by worldly wisdom? And say, are we going to be shaped by the pride of worldly wisdom? Or are we going to be shaped by the humility of the cross? So let's look at verses 6 through 13 and follow along as God's word begins to deconstruct some of our pride and some of the ways that we choose to live our lives. In verse six, Paul writes, I have applied all these things to myself in Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Here it is. Paul said, hey, everything that I have written so far Everything that, that I've written to you about who Christ is, about the gospel, about what it means to be the church, about what it means to relate to leaders, exercise leadership, everything that I've written to you, everything that I've applied to myself and Apollos, I've done this for this reason, so that you would not be puffed up, you would not be given over to pride, you would not be, have a, the, the thing that would define your relationship with other people would be pride, and so you're puffed up one against another. All that the Apostle Paul is getting at here and deconstructing is he's going after their pride because here's what's interesting. Quite often, we can create division thinking we're standing on truth, standing on righteousness, standing on what is good, all the while we're standing on our pride. Like we're so good at convincing ourselves that, hey, I'm taking a stand, I'm doing what's right, when really what it's about is your pride. Guarantee the, apost- or the, the Corinthians thought, hey, we're following Paul, or we're following Peter, or we're following Apollos. That's the right thing to do. And if you don't follow the guy we follow, then you're in the wrong. They believed they were taking a stand. They believed that the wisdom that had shaped them was a wisdom of righteousness and goodness and truth. And so they very much believed that division existed along the lines of truth, all the while it was their pride. And so, friends, we need to ask ourselves, At times, does following Jesus mean division is created? Absolutely. Jesus made it very clear to follow him means at times there will be division, even among your closest friends and family. Like following Christ sometimes creates separation. But we need to ask ourselves, is it loyalty to Jesus that causes any sort of separation we experience, or is it just our pride? Well, how do we know? Well, the Apostle Paul helps us. In verse 7, he hits the Corinthians with several rhetorical questions. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? For who sees anything different in you? Another way to phrase this is, who do you think you are? Uh, he, he's hitting them straight up with this. Hey, who do you think you are, Corinthians? Who do you think you are to stand in judgment over other people? So in the context here, as we saw last week, the Corinthians had been judging Paul. They'd been critiquing his ministry, his, his worth, his effectiveness as an apostle, as a preacher of the gospel, based in worldly wisdom. They were setting themselves up as the judges, as the arbiters of what is effective ministry, of what is good, what is righteous, what is true. And Paul is throwing it back at him saying, who do you think you are? Who who do you think you are to stand in the place of God as judge? To look down on other people in pride and make declarations about who they are? Is this not what we see in our world? I mean, just hop on social media or, or just listen to conversation if you're out somewhere now. How much of it is consumed with I'm judging someone else and I have put myself in the place of God. I'm the one who's decided and determined what is the standard of truth and goodness and righteousness. And it's just pride. Friends, who are we going to be? Are we going to be those who assert ourselves in sort of this authoritative stance of I get to judge, I get to condemn, I get to critique, are we going to be those who are humbly submitted to God and we say, I am, I am below, I am beneath, I, there is someone greater and he is the judge. And so whatever assessments I make, whatever critique I make, anytime I have to take a stand for truth, anytime I have to call out sin, anytime that I have to say, this is good, this is bad, this is righteous, this is wickedness, I do so submitted to God and in a spirit of humility. I let God be the ultimate judge. And so I don't look down on people in pride, or rather I humble myself before God and humble myself before other people, recognizing I'm a broken, flawed sinner just as much. When people enter into the community of First City, what are they in experience? People who stand and look down on others or people who are, kneel down next to one another in humility. Are we submitting ourselves to God? Are we humble? What then what do you have that you did not receive? He then asks. If then you have received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? The first question, the answer, first question, the answer is obvious. What did you what did you receive? Or what do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. Nothing. Everything you have, you have received. And if that's the case, why do you act as if you didn't receive it? Here, Paul is, is pointing out, hey Corinthians. Not only are you acting arrogant and presumptuous in judgment, you lack grace and gratitude. You lack grace and gratitude because you've lost sight that everything you have is a gift from God. You see, you think your status and your skill and your intelligence and the blessings, the material benefits that you have, all the good, you think that that that, that comes from you, That, that you earned all of that. And yeah, maybe there are aspects where you earn things through your hard work, but who gave you the strength to do it? Who gave you the intelligence? Who gave you the skill set? Who gave you the personality? Who gave you the resources and the family and the, and the relationships and the people who've supported you? Those are gifts from God. And so when we lose sight of grace and gratitude, we become puffed up, we become prideful. And what, what do we do? We start using people. We start using people because we think they belong to us. They're for our gain, our status, our kingdom, rather than seeing them as gifts, gifts to be embraced, gifts to be stewarded. So First City Church, who are we going to be? Are we going to be those who lose sight of grace and gratitude, who are entitled, who make demands of one another, who see other people and resources all about us and our kingdom, that they serve us? Or are we going to see the grace of God given to us and is it going to humble us? Are we going to be thankful people? When people come into the community of First City, are they going to find people who are so overwhelmed by the grace of God and the goodness of God to them that they are humble and they're generous and they're loving and they're forgiving and they're willing to give it all away because they know it doesn't belong to them? Who are we going to be Church, there is such a lack of gratitude in our world. There is such entitlement. But the cross calls us to grace and gratitude. Who are we going to be? From there, the Apostle Paul begins to push on their pride in another way. After highlighting their arrogance and their presumptuousness and their lack of grace and gratitude, now he's going to highlight their unwillingness to sacrifice and suffer. In verse 80 he writes this, already you have all you want, already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. This is thick sarcasm. Sarcasm. The Apostle Paul is being he's being sarcastic to drive home a point. Already you have all you want. You guys have arrived. Look at you. You're doing well. You're doing great. You're reigning as kings. Go you, go, Corinthians. But underneath that, here's what he's saying. Already you have all you want. In the Greek, this literally means you're fat, you're stuffed, you're satisfied. He's highlighting, hey, Corinthians. You have become satisfied with this world. What you have, the, the, the image and the, the status and the success and material comfort and all that this world gives, you're satisfied with it. It's enough for you. You're reigning. You're, you're trying to establish your own comfort and control here. You're reigning as kings. And underneath that, the, the, the other layer of sarcasm here, what Paul is saying is, you know what you guys are doing you're acting as if the kingdom of God has been fully realized. In trying to establish your reign here, and saying you're satisfied with the world, you're fat and happy, you are trying to fully realize the kingdom of God through your own strength, through your own efforts. You're seeking the kingdom of God through the kingdom of the world. And the irony of it all is you're missing it. The irony of it all is that you think you're rich, you think you're reigning, but you're missing it. So here's the foolishness in what, in what the Corinthians were doing. You know those, those clips of like a runner in a race and they're, they're out front and they think that they've won and so they like pull up and kind of slow down and then someone passes them or, or, or maybe on, on the football field, the guy's like running for a touchdown and he thinks he's got it and so he kind of slows up and gets cocky and then all of a sudden he gets tackled or the guy knocks the ball out or, or the basketball player that like shoots, thinks he's won, he like turns around and then boom. That's what the, that's what the Corinthians were doing essentially. They, they think they had arrived but they completely missed where they really were. They, they, they were thinking that they had achieved. they think that they had made it but they missed, hey, the time for fulfillment, the time for that victory, that rest, that ease hadn't come yet. They missed that they were still in a time where suffering and sacrifice were defining the era. And because they missed this, they looked like a fool I mean, you see these runners, and the runner passes them, and they, they look like a fool. You see the football player who gets tackled before the goal line because he's slowed down. He looks like a fool, thinking you have arrived, thinking that you, you're fat and satisfied when the kingdom of God has not been fully realized. We're going to look foolish, expecting that we're not in a season of suffering and sacrifice. We're going to look foolish. And ultimately, what's going to happen? We're going to chase lesser glory We're going to chase a glory that does not last. We're going to to try to achieve the kingdom of God through the kingdom of men, and that's not the eternal kingdom of God. And so that satisfaction is going to fall apart. If this is how we're living, if this is who we are, church, we're going to come up short. We're going to miss the glory of God. Contrast that with how the apostle Paul described himself and the other apostles, for I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. And so the imagery that Paul draws on here is of this great parade coming into a city. And so when a king would conquer What he would do is he would enter back into this capital city, and he would be at the front of the parade, and his generals would be following him, and so all the victorious army, and then behind them would be the spoils of war. So whatever loot that they won, whatever gold, and whatever riches that they had had gained because of the war, and then behind that would be the prisoners of war. And at the very end of that train would be those who would be sentenced to death, And oftentimes in the Roman world, how that happened is they would take those prisoners of war, they would throw them in the arena and make them fight to the death for the entertainment of the crowds. You know who Paul says the apostles are like in that parade? Not the king, not the victorious conquering troops, those at the end sentenced to death. He's saying the life that we live often feels like we've been sentenced to death. It kind of feels like the whole world is watching and laughing at our suffering that, that, that we're, we're put on display before the eyes of men and angels as we serve Christ, as we suffer. And then he lists a whole host of hardship. Think about this for a second, church. The apostles. I mean, if you think of sort of the org chart of the church, you have Jesus, and then whose next sort of line of authority? The apostles. They spoke authoritative truth. If the Apostle Paul walked into this room, he'd instantaneously have more authority than any pastor. And yet, how did he describe his life? How did the one with the most authority describe his life and his ministry as one who is a spectacle to be killed? Suffering. Suffering and sacrifice. If that is true of the Apostle Paul, in fact, if that is true of Jesus, what does that mean for us? And here's, here's what's also ironic about what Paul's saying. To the world, they're the scum of the earth. To, to, to the world, they're like those who are foolish and failures. To the world, they're those who really are, yeah, sentenced to death. You're an idiot. You're a moron. You're, you're giving your life to something that isn't worth giving your life to. They appear to be the least. I mean, he uses the term scum of the earth. What, what that scum is is like the stuff you scrape off the bottom of your shoe. Like that's how the world views them. But in the eyes of God, what is true? They're the most precious. Like those who have, that the world sees as foolish and failures, God sees as wise and strong. God sees as precious. They're his beloved ones. And church, that's the same for you and I. It's true for you and me. Though the world may see us as foolish and failures because we don't give our lives to the things the world does, how does God see us? My beloved ones, my precious ones, the ones who are close and dear to me, the ones who I have empowered with my spirit, the one who I've called to be on mission with me. And so there's great irony in what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Great irony And the the truth that through suffering and sacrifice, we actually experience glory. And isn't this what Advent shows us? Isn't Advent representative of this passage in some ways? I mean, you think about what we celebrate. That Jesus came into this world as this wonderful act of God's grace to us. A gift. And how did Jesus come in? As a hotshot king? No. He came in as a baby. In a lowly manger, born into a backwater province, and he was raised in a no-name family as a humble carpenter. And how did he live his life? He loved, he served, he suffered with us, he got into the mess and the muck of people's sin and their pain and their diseases. He humbled himself so much that he died on a cruel Roman cross for our sin I mean, Jesus walked a path of sacrifice and suffering for you and I that we could be forgiven and set free. But then also what happens? He he is raised from the dead, victorious over sin and death and hell, and he ascends to the the right hand of God, and he pours out his spirit on us so that we can walk in newness of life. But how do we walk out that newness of life now, church? Through sacrifice and suffering. Like Jesus brought the kingdom, right? Right? But the kingdom is not fully realized. But one day it will be. Well, one day Jesus is going to return and end all sin and suffering and disease and evil and war. And it will be, his kingdom will be fully realized. All things will be made new. But until that happens, his people, how do they walk? We walk just as Jesus did. Suffering and sacrifice, humility, humility. We're not trying to establish the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of God through the kingdom of the world. No, we humbly submit to God knowing that he's going to establish his kingdom. Church, who are we going to be? Are we going to be those who are willing to embrace suffering and sacrifice? Or are we going to be those who are trying to establish our own kingdoms here? Are we trying to be fat and happy here? Are we trying to be completely full and content here? Are we trying to reign here? Or are we willing to walk a path of suffering and sacrifice so that we can reign with Christ in his kingdom? This is a, a sobering reality. This is a humbling reality. But church, here's what's held out on the other end of that. True glory, lasting glory. Life, real life, and joy and hope and peace. Look, if you read the letters of of Paul in the New Testament, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a guy who was incredibly joyful. Incredibly joyful. He, He was incredibly hopeful. He had a ton of peace. But this guy was beaten within an inch of his life multiple times. He was hungry, starving, left out in the cold. He went through things you and I would never choose to go through. Why do you think he had that much joy? and that much hope and that much peace because he knew the intimacy of Christ in the midst of that suffering and sacrifice. He was willing to die to himself so that Christ would be glorified and in that he experienced intimacy with God. Friends, the path of suffering and sacrifice, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. But it is also the path where we experience deep intimacy with God in a way we couldn't otherwise when we die to ourselves when we are willing to suffer and sacrifice for the glory of God and the good of others so church who are we going to be are we going to be those who chase after an empty glory a glory that fades or are we going to be those who achieve a glory that is incorruptible and imperishable so as we head into 2021 as we think about who we're going to be and we're going to give what are we going to give our lives to Are we willing to be those who suffer and sacrifice for the glory of God and the good of others? Look, we may never experience what the apostles experienced. More than likely, we're not going to. More than likely, we're largely going to still have homes and clothes and food, and we're going to have most of the comforts of our modern life, and that is okay. They're blessings. But can we hold those blessings so lightly that if God were to ask to give those up, we would in a heartbeat? Can we hold those blessings so lightly that when suffering and sacrifice come into our life and, we're, and the Lord leads us into that, we're willing to die to ourselves for His glory and the good of others? Are we willing to endure persecution and slander and being reviled with blessing, with endurance, with entreating? That's showing kindness. Like, friends, think about our cultural moments. When you're reviled, what do you do? Oh, oh heck no, you're not doing that. I'm giving it back to you. Right? I'm going to jump on social media or I'm going to fight you to your face. You do not revile me without me coming back at you. How do we deal with persecution? I want to be careful here. I want to be careful. But how often are we selling our souls to political power in order to avoid persecution rather than enduring it? What's more powerful? What's going to last? Like, can we bless those who revile us? Can we bless those that hate us? Can we follow the path of Christ in the midst of our suffering? Who are we going to be? Friends, I'm excited for 2021. I really am. I think 2021 is going to be a great year for First City. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not making any pronouncements I'm not not trying to act like, hey, everything is gonna be rosy and it's only we can only go up from here. I'm thankful for the ways we've grown, the way we grew in 2020. Unexpected, but wonderful. I'm excited that we head into 2020 and really in a place of strength, in some ways stronger than we've ever been as a church. But I also know that we're heading into a year where there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of challenge, a lot of anger and hatred that the wisdom of this world is bearing down on us, trying to shape us, trying to pull us into its mold, and oftentimes it's deceptively cloaked in, hey, this is the the right thing to do, the good thing to do, the true thing to do. There is a real battle we're going to be facing next year. And so I want us to head into 2021 with humility, with, with a sense of Love and grace and gratitude and with hands open to the Lord saying, Lord, whatever you have for us, we receive. Wherever you take us, whatever you call us to, whatever suffering and sacrifice you ask of us, we will do for your glory and the good of others because you're worth it. Because the glory and the life and the joy and the peace that you hold out that is found in you is greater than anything we can find in this world. And so come what may, Come, bring, bring on the suffering, bring on the sacrifice, bring on the persecution. We're not going to bend, we're not going to be shaped, we're not going to be molded by the wisdom of this world. We're going to hold tightly to the cross, hold tightly to Christ, and be shaped by him. So who are we going to be, church? Who are we going to be? Are we going to be those shaped by the world and its wisdom, are we going to be those shaped by the cross? Let's pray.